Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the No Vertical Podcast with your hosts, Alex and Billy. Today in the podcast, we break down Buffalo and the emergence of the MAC Conference. We talk about St. John's teetering tournament hopes and Syracuse succeeding and finding ways to score the ball without Battle's involvement. So just getting started with the podcast today, uh, Alex. Mm-hmm. What do you make of these of the Bulls the past few games, dropping two of the last four um, to Northern Illinois and Bowling Green? Yeah, I mean, we talked about a little bit about conference play and how they were going to need to not play down the competition, but I don't think it's a matter of not playing of not playing up to the competition. I think the competition has just exceeded expectations. Like no one, ex- I didn't expect Bowling Green to put up ninety-two points on a Buffalo team that's been known to be a defensive powerhouse this year. Yeah, I mean the MAC conference as a whole is currently listed as the eighth best conference, with just slightly behind the Pac-12. Right. Um, and I, I don't think anyone foresaw that happening. At least you know, in terms of the utter collapse of the Pac-12 and the emergence of, you know, all these teams within the top 100. I think there's like at least three or four teams in the top 100 on the net rankings currently in the MAC. And right. that, that, that whole thing is all spearheaded by, by UB. But, I mean, the, the play, you know, the play at times wasn't up to par with, but, with what, you know, you're typically accustomed to seeing UB sure. uh, play at. But that said, I mean Bowling Green, they they that last game Fry just absolutely went off. I mean the mm-hmm. kid's a stellar guard, and if if I do remember, he he had a great game as well when he came to Queens and played St. John's. Um, so he he's a crafty guard, and I think Buffalo, you know, it when when they don't get guys that uh, they can pick off in the passing lanes and stuff like that and create points off turnovers. Um, guys that really know how to create for themselves and and minimize their turnovers, especially in the point guard role, I think that is going to be something that Buffalo is going to struggle with. You know, I as, agree as with they that, face yeah. more uh, higher caliber teams, especially going forward in in the MAC tournament and in the NCAA tournament. Right, and I don't, I wouldn't foresee this as a trend. I don't think that they're going to, you know, teeter out in the MAC because they are obviously the top team in that conference but that being said they do have quite a few conference games left on their schedule with Bowling Green being their last game Um, and it looks like they're playing almost everybody in the conference twice in the future so anytime you play a team a second time you're always going to be more vulnerable to letting down and losing to that team but you know I'm expecting Nate Oates to kind of get things back right the ship a little bit try to get the guys to focus up get back into that blue collar mentality try to really hammer out hammer down on defense you know they've been letting up a lot of points they have been giving up 70 plus points in almost every game um that they've lost so they just need to focus more on the defensive end again they need to i think that's what made them great in the first place Yes, they have guards that can score. Yes, Nick Perkins is a monster. Yes, that they are very consistent on offense, and they have a lot of guys that can do a lot of things. But similar to Syracuse, defense makes their offense run. You know, if they're succeeding on defense, they're going to play well on the offensive end. 
And I think that Nate Oates is going to make that a priority and an emphasis going forward. But again, we'll see if they're able to pull things back together, get their, get their flow going in the Mac and see if they can't come out with just these couple losses on their schedule. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great point that you bring up in that their defense was realistically, you know, what kept them alive in some tight games uh, earlier in the season. Um, and maybe, you know, they, they clearly still buy into Nate Oates and, and the defense has been there at times. But like you said, you know, letting up 70 plus points consistently for a team that, you know, is supposed to create a lot of chaos on defense and, and create off those right. turnovers that, that, you know, are slowing down slightly. You know, you just you're waiting for them to get back into their stride, and I think um, a lot of teams figured out how to sort of uh, avoid creating those turnovers and and found ways to beat Buffalo, whether it was through spreading the floor and then working it in down low. Uh, you know, when guys are coming out trying to create force those turnovers almost up by mid court. You know, you're you're going to have guys open mm-hmm. down low sometimes. So I think teams have been exploiting that to a degree. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how Nate Oates adjusts to that. I think another point that, that I think is worth mentioning, though, at times I've noticed on offense this team has seemed a little hesitant when the game is on the line like it was at Bowling Green just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. They, they always, which is understandable, they always want to work the ball to CJ and, and let sure. him take that last shot. But Nick Perkins had a pretty nice look from the top of the key. Um, and, and decided he was going to pass that up for a terrible, you know, a low percentage shot from CJ from like mm-hmm. six, seven feet behind the three. That right. was very contested by two guys. Like, I feel like if you're Nick Perkins, you are a game changing player, just like CJ is. You have to be, and you, right. you can hit threes. It's not like it's not in your wheelhouse. So I think, you know, a big thing going forward for these guys is to be confident and, and you know, sometimes making that extra pass. Now, while it does help mm-hmm. them out often, Sometimes it's not worth it to when you have a good shot and you're just looking to find the same guy who's going to be doubled in that situation. You know, we've seen him hit game winners in previous games. Other teams see that. So when you're inbounding the ball or you're bringing the ball up, you know, a couple seconds left on the clock, maybe CJ isn't the guy to go to all the time. And I'm not I'm not trying to degrade CJ in any way, shape or form. No, but yeah, you're right. The team teams are going to pick up on the one player that they go to each and every time that they need a clutch shot exactly and they're going to start paying more attention to them so you have to have other people willing to step up and willing to make the to make the big shots when they need to you know and i think buffalo is the perfect team for that you know you have guys like right you know harris has been having slightly off year this year but harris is always there you know when you need a big three you have graves mm-hmm. who can hit shots carruthers has been draining threes like like it's his, like that's his primary skill set, which is not right as of late. You know, he he's a defensive like bulldog on the team, but he's he was a twenty eight point per game scorer in high school, so he's right. got that skill set. You, you know, even McCray has been hitting threes, so you have pretty much anyone you can go to now. Obviously, if CJ's open, you're going to CJ, but lately right. that hasn't been the case. So I think Nate Oates needs to just reinforce that confidence and and you know support his team because the talent is there and and he's a great coach and I think he'll be able to make those adjustments down the road especially going into uh Mac tournament play 
Oh, yeah. I, th- I think that, like I said, I think he'll write the ship. I think that this was a little bit of a fluke, you know, in terms of the teams that they allowed them, allowed to beat them and the situations in which they were beaten. Both games were away, which is a good sign. Yeah. You know, they're not losing at home. So they'll obviously need to be be more attentive to playing a little bit more aggressive defense at away games because these these teams are coming for them. This is like the Warriors in the NBA. They're the top dog. These teams are going to give them their best every single game. So they need to be able to play their best every game and show that they are the number 18 team in the nation. Now, Alex, do you think the two losses in, in the past two weeks, do you think this – might drop them out of the top 25 going from 18 to potentially, you know, mid twenties to, to not ranked this, this week. I think maybe mid twenties. I don't see them dropping all the way out of the rankings, especially with the number of teams that have number of top 25 teams that have lost this, this week. Um, I don't think this will drop them completely out because they still are what 19 and three. And they still do have some really big resume winning, resume building games on their schedule. But teams like who lost this week? Virginia Tech. In um, a terrible game. <laughs> right. That was rough. Um, NC State lost in another terrible game. So there are teams that lost that have less to, that have less proving ground already that are in the top 25 that probably will drop out before Buffalo drops out. But that being said, I mean, there's always an, a chance that the AP poll is going to do something funky and they will drop out, but I don't see it. Um, I think that the the wins that they do have outweigh the, the two losses that they just had, especially because they both were away, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, look, the, like you said, the voters can be finicky at times for sure, but uh, I mean, I think this team at least deserves to be 25 to 24 at like the very right. lowest at this right. point. But you never know. You know, voters can be very finicky in that regard. And my, last, my last question regarding Buffalo and the Mac for you. Mm-hmm. Do you see Mac being a two-bid this year if Buffalo somehow loses in, in the uh, Mac tournament? Um, I'm not sure. You know, I think that Buffalo – I think that Buffalo has to be in. I don't see them not making – like, there's no way. There's not – there's no way they're not making the tournament. And obviously, you'll get the at-large for whoever wins the tournament. So, it could be. It's possible. I'm, I'm, um, I, personally, I think I could see the Mac easily being a two-bid because Buffalo – Buffalo, to me, is, is a lock. You know, if they play well correct. the rest of the season, they're a lock. With the quality wins that they have already, they're already at 19 wins. Um. I don't see how they don't make it in. Now that said, right. I mean we're seeing it right now. Buffalo is not infallible in this conference. You know they absolutely, especially not. in a hostile environment. You know, playing uh, was it over in Detroit, I believe, where, where they have the MAC mm-hmm. tournament. Anything could happen. You know, and yeah. and if someone can dethrone Buffalo, I could very easily see this being a two bit league um, with the resumes that some of the other schools have put together, like Central Michigan, Toledo. Uh, right. Bowling Green, you know that the, these teams—they're legit this year, and I think. Right. I think and people it, are starting to take and, notice. Right, and any time one of those teams beats Buffalo, that's a resume builder. Exactly. So, 
They have to. They have to keep their heads on a swivel. They're gonna have to stay very, very aggressive, and they're gonna have to really hammer down in these last couple of games. Because if they let off the gas, then yeah, you're right. I, it could very well be a two vid team. All right, and pivoting over to a uh, you know a no man's land category over in St. John's. Uh, <laughs> so I was at a bar last night uh, talking to a friend of mine that I went to high school with. And we were talking about the future of St. John's and, and Chris Mullen. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think his future is going forward after this season? I don't know, man. I think that they've had some, like two, what is how How many years has he been coaching there? He's, Three or four? He's been there four years now. So in those four years, they have not excelled. They've been very up and down. They have, they, and they've recruited well. They have a lot of talent on that team. And with the level of talent that Mullen has had available to him, he's not done a lot with it. And I think that, number one, the fan base is frustrated. Coming from a fan yourself, you can tell you're obviously very frustrated. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, the results aren't there. No one's seeing the, the worth, I think, in his coaching ability. And I've talked to you about this. Not every former player was meant to be a coach. Yeah. And I think Clyde Drexler is is a perfect example of that with Houston. Exactly. So I think that maybe one more year, they'll give him like a five year, you know, see what it's like. I don't know what his contract looks like, but um, I think that after five years, you have a pretty good idea that the coach is not going to be very successful. So I think after – I don't think he'll be gone this year, but, again, I could be wrong. Um, so Go ahead. So here, here's my rationale, and this is what, this is what my, my friend uh, heard the other night. So over four years, what Mullen's been able to do at St. John's is build a 54 and 66 resume after Oof. four years. So you're not – you know, granted, the first year – Complete rebuild started with nothing from scratch. Right. Barely sure. anything left from the Lavin era. You know, you have talent on the roster, though, each year. The talent gets better and better and better. Now, my issue is clearly, you know, the, the, Matt Aldamassi is, is the one coach on the staff the recruit, who does all the recruiting. He's been phenomenal. That's the mm-hmm. only coach I can say without a doubt. You know, he deserves all praise. He's done his job. Right. Mullen, Richmond, Greg St. Jean. I, I don't really know what's going there. <laughs> Greg St. Jean, he's a first-time coach. He's the assistant. Every single, t- every single time out, you see him barking in, in the huddle to the guys. Mullen's out there. The other day, he's out there tying his shoe. It took him 46 seconds just to get into the <laughs> huddle. Um, you, you know, like I don't and, – and Mitch Richmond, I haven't seen the guy say one word, I don't think. Sure. In, the, in the entire four years he's been there. So I'm not, I'm not high on this coaching staff whatsoever. I mean, you have the likes of Shamori Pons, Mustafa Heron, um, you know, Marvin Clark, Justin Simon. All these guys were like four, four-star kids coming out of right. high school. You know, granted, they all got there by different routes, you know, going through other schools except for, you know, Shamori in that case. But you have all this talent you've assembled. You know, if you take – a coach like Coach K or, or, or Bayheim, for example, this could be an elite-level squad, but yet, 
you know, you're paying $2 million a year for Mullen with no coaching experience. Right. To kind of just stand around and let them do whatever they want. There's, there's clearly no unity um, with the team right now. You know, the continuity is not there. Everyone's on different pages. And I think that, you know, it, it, if Mullen is sticking around after this year, I don't know what to make of this program because regardless of where they end up, look, Lavin made it to the NCAA tournament in his last year and still got canned. So right. you can't just settle, oh, we made it to the tournament, you know, good for us, pat on the back. This team should go deep in the tournament. And, and I can tell you right now, with, with the way that they've been playing, it's not going to happen. A 30-point blowout to Duke? Come on. Like, I know it's at Cameron. But to allow, you know, Duke to go on, on a, uh, to widen the lead to 10 before half, yeah. Right. You got to – Mullen should have lit a fire under their asses at halftime. And yet what happens? Like, they go – Duke comes out on a 19-2 run, blows the game wide open, and that's it. So, uh, to me, I don't see the leadership and I don't see the merit in keeping Mullen around at this point because what has he done for this team? Right, yeah, not a lot. I mean, it's it's not like he – like you said, it's not like he drew in a lot of people. You know, it seems more that his recruiting staff has been more successful than he has as a coach. Um, and St. John's, the name St. John's itself will draw some some clout. But I think that you hit the nail on the head. I don't think that he's brought a ton to the team. And I don't think that he has a lot to hang on his hat about what he's accomplished when those postseason interviews come, there's not going to be a lot of standing, like standing room for him. You know, I think he's going to be tiptoeing on trying to keep his job. That being said, I'm not sure if they'll, they'll can him right away, but if somebody else that's more proven comes available, watch out. Yeah. I mean, when you look at who was available at the time, and the fact that they went with someone with no experience. Right. You know, you easily could have picked up either Bobby or Danny Hurley. Right. Um, and, you know, it shows that there's no experience in the coaching staff because the the players on the floor, you know, there's no guidance there. They're, they're, there's no set plays. that They run the same play out of every timeout, an alley-oop, mm-hmm. you know, backdoor alley-oop to the basket. And, and teams – figure that out you know you can't just run the same plays over and over and over again and look for ponds to take over every single game you know case in point trey jones smothered ponds again like in this last game and they were doubling and tripling him at times because they know no one else was going to step up and and take control of the game there's there's just no development there you had a backup point guard in mikey dixon and yeah there, there was toxic environment there but a coach should be the one that mediates that not fuels the fire and, Absolutely. and, you know, not having a backup point guard puts all the pressure on Shimori. So now, you know, what are you going to do there when, when he's having a bad game or he's, you know, hurt or he's not in the game, you know, right. and the team falls apart that way. So to me, I think this team isn't playing well together. They're, they're kind of unraveling at this point. They have a big game against Marquette coming up at Marquette. Tough game. You know, and to me, the, the talent is there, and that's the sad thing. And I don't, I don't know if it's actually ever going to come together for this squad. And going forward, you know, you're losing Pons next year regardless. Now, whether you right. lose Heron or not, that's a different story. But, you know, 
guys aren't going to stick around with a program that can't get it together after four years uh, under under a head coach. All right, and then moving on to Syracuse. So Battle didn't come to play really in this oh last my one, God. but but his teammates picked him up, which is something that St. John's I can't really say the same thing for. Right. Um, that's yeah. That's been kind of a glimmer of hope. Frank Howard is finally starting to play like Frank Howard of old, and O'Shea Brissett is playing very, very well over the last couple of games. Even Eli Hughes didn't really play very well in that pick game, but, you know, Buddy Beheim put in a couple threes. Pascal Chukwu was huge once again. Anytime Pascal Ch- I've said this before, but Pascal Chukwu needs to play like he did in that Duke game and like he did in the, the pick game in order for Syracuse to make a run. He needs to be absolutely dominant on the boards. He's over seven feet tall. He's the tallest person on the court 95% of the time, yet he gets – because he just gets bullied around, and then he – not to be fair, not in the best shape. He gets taken out for foul trouble. He gets taken out for a breather a lot. So I understand that the playing time isn't always there, but when he's in the game, he should be dominant. He does not come out aggressively very often, but when he does, when he's looking to hammer some dunks in, when he's looking to crash the glass offensively and defensively, Syracuse is a hard team to beat. And Syracuse needs rebounding in order to succeed. They cannot win if they do not get defensive rebounds. O'Shea Brissett's going to get you probably – anywhere from four to six rebounds a night. That's because he's an athletic freak. He just out-jumps everybody. He'll get a couple offensive rebounds. But Pascal Chukwu needs to be the man in the middle that Syracuse is used to having. Arinzai Anawaku, perfect example. Man in the middle, dominant offensively and defensively because he was gigantic. And I think that Syracuse has been used to that in the past. Even with um, Baimu Cicada, you know, people like that, they come along down the road. But I think that Pascal Chukwu is sort of coming alive in the second half of the season, which has been really, really nice to see. I think another big thing with with the the Syracuse team is is getting eight guys in a rotation. So yeah, uh, given some some rest, like you mentioned, like Chukwu is going to need some rest here and there. He played 30 minutes in the last game. You know, battle. There's no way he's going to be fresh all the time. You know, it, it, right. a, any star player that's that's out there chipping in, you know, 35 to 40 minutes a game, they're they're going to get tired in, in certain situations. So I think getting Sidibe to come in the game and contribute big minutes as well with, as Beheim. Is going right. to be crucial for for Syracuse going down the stretch. Um, right, Dolajai as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you? So, what do you think about Battle and his number one his play recently, but also about his draft prospects at this point? Because from what I've seen over the last I don't know ten games, it's been so up and down that I can't justify him being a high level draft prospect with the. The scoring, not not just the scoring, but the way he's played. So the inconsistencies is going to scare away a lot of NBA scouts. Right. Um, just on, on its own there. I mean, he is playing in, in, in easily the best conference, maybe second best conference in, in the country right now. Right. So he's getting tested game in and game out. Um, 
I mean, but but the inconsistency aspect is still is still going to be a major factor, and the three point shooting hasn't really been there this year, um, to the degree that you know someone looking to go to the league should probably have in their wheelhouse. Right at his position, especially. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, I think he could easily benefit from staying another year. Will that happen? I don't know. Who knows? Uh, it's kind of you know, you but, never really know. Right, and he is not having the same year. Yes, he's their still their leading scorer, but he's not having the same year that he had last year. No, he is not as explosive as he was. He is not leading the team as he was, and I think a little bit. Of- the emergence of somebody like an Elijah Hughes who has come alive as a scorer. Um, the one person that's let me down a little bit has been Jalen Carey, but I think that that's a, a bit of Jim Beheim trying to go to Frank Howard more and trying to rely on the, the senior leadership as opposed to the young kind of no second thought will try to score whenever he can mentality of a Jalen Carey but because of Elijah Hughes showing up because of O'Shea Brissett being as solid as he is and because of the most recent emergence of Frank Howard I think that a little bit of that comes to play when it comes to Tyus Battle but at the same time he's obviously their best player he is their most athletic player he's their best driving and slashing player and he's the he's the best player on that team who is able to make a shot for himself he just hasn't been doing it in recent games and I think that that's a little frustrating but they've still been fairly successful obviously they lost to Virginia Tech but that's a tough game anyways yeah I mean you're gonna take L's especially you know in conference in the ACC that's gonna happen right um I don't know I, I still I look the only way Syracuse is going to continue to win, though, is with is with Battle leading the way. But I think, you know, what we're seeing with Syracuse is still nice, where they're getting pickups from other guys, you know. Um, and I don't think Battle has to necessarily be on every night. He just has to kind of read the room. Um, he's still the leader of that team, and he's, there, there are other ways to lead a team to victory outside of scoring. Um, facilitating right. to his teammates, I think it's going to be huge when – and and something that I love that Shamori Pond has been able to adapt to his game is he he reads what's going on much better now. Um, a lot of scouts were looking for him to be a better facilitator, not take such wild shots. And I think that Battle can kind of not to say that Battle takes a ton of wild shots because a lot of his shots right. are pretty high percentage if he's driving the lane. Um, but. I think if Battle can look to facilitate a little bit when he sees that himself not being able to get the ball in the hoop, um, I think that's going to be huge for Syracuse going forward, and um, that's going to be a recipe for success for them if he can find ways to to develop his game like that. I would agree. I think that Syracuse as a whole is an inconsistent team. I mean, they're inconsistent every year, which is why they're always on the bubble, but and once again, they're showing that this year. They have played a little more consistently as of late. Um, those two losses early in the year killed us. The loss to Oregon and the loss to Connecticut did us no favors whatsoever. But they didn't have Frank yeah. Howard. Yeah, he was out for the first five games of the season. So, you know, right. the, you're, you're lacking depth already at that, at that point in time. 
Plus, UConn started the year off. Uh, they were one of the hottest teams in the country. Phenomenally. Right. So, you know, they just ran into a buzzsaw. Um, and I think that was on neutral neutral court, right? It was, yeah. It was in a Yeah, so, I mean, you know, early season games, you're going to drop some of those regardless, especially when you don't have one of your best players on the, on the floor. It's understandable. Um, right. But, I mean, looking at their schedule – you know, they have some bad losses oh. as well. You know, I mean, they lost to Georgia Tech, yeah. Old Dominion. Um, yeah, the Old Dominion losses. Yeah, so, I mean, th- those are going to hurt them in the long run. But luckily right. for, for them, you know, they have plenty of opportunities to get quality wins. You know, they got the game right. against Florida State uh, coming up, the game at NC State coming up, Louisville. They have another game against Duke and UNC and Virginia. So, you know, as long as they don't take bad losses to teams like Wake Forest going forward, Clemson. Right, um, yeah. Boston College, that's a must-win game. You know, I think they'll be in good shape, and I think this team should get an easier time getting into the tournament this year than, compared to last I year. I hope so. It's very stressful. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I feel your pain <laughs> this year, which I ordinarily am not in your position. Um, right. But, I mean, they have plenty of room for quality wins. Unlike, you know, St. John's, where the conference is in dismay right now with the teams with four to three wins, like running – from two to ten in the conference, of uh, three to ten in the conference, I should say. Um, right. So you know, the, the St. John's is a little best, bit a little bit less room to make up for for those. Uh, you know, they they don't have the opportunity for those quality wins, like the way Syracuse has coming up. Now, that, I mean, that's not to say Syracuse isn't going to drop some of these games because you know. Oh yeah. There's no way they're going to win out in the conference, but I don't think so. Uh, no. I, I think that Syracuse would be in a way better position this year, though, if they can find ways to get other guys going like they did in the win against Pitt. Right. Yeah, I'm looking at these home games, you know. They're home against BC, home against Louisville. They have a home game against Virginia. If they if they win that home game against Virginia, that's a huge, huge, huge win. But the, And that's far down the road. That's plenty of time to get everybody together, collectively get the team where they need to be. And the nice thing is they only have Duke once more. They only have UNC once. And they only have Virginia yeah, once. Yeah, but they have a tough four-game oh. stretch, though, there. Right, 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 right. But those are the easily the three best teams right now in the conference. And pl- only having to play them once is going to be very beneficial. Yeah. Yes, Louisville is very dangerous. NC State had a dud their last game, but that's not NC State. And um, FSU is no slouch. FSU is a very, very good team. They score the ball very well. They have a couple big guys inside that are very dominant. So all of, all of the opportunities also come with a lot of risk. But that being said, Syracuse has shown that they're one of the best teams in the ACC. They just need to show it more – steadily and more consistently. I think a, a big thing to, to look into, and I guess we can get into the, the matchup predictions going forward here, uh, a big thing to look into for, for Syracuse against FSU is making sure their defense comes correct. Um, yes. If they can limit FSU to to keep it in the low 60s, I don't see FSU coming away with a win in the Carrier Dome. Um, especially right. if, if they can keep them under 60 points, that's an easy win for Syracuse, in my opinion. Right. And FSU has had losses to Pitt and BC. Mm-hmm. So they're vulnerable. They're not. And 
I mean, they're 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 fringe top twenty five right now, being ranked twenty fifth. So they're obviously a good team, but they're not imperfect. No, and, or they are imperfect. They've shown imperfection. And and just even looking deeper at them, you know, in games where they're not scoring the ball a whole ton, and they're going against statistically better defenses, they they right. just don't find ways to score. So right. I think if you if if you can stay true to uh, Beheim's mantra and stay and stick with that zone and and really trap them and uh, create some turnovers, I think this game if they if Syracuse can can uh, play great half court defense, I think this is an easy win for Syracuse. Um, Alex, what what do you got as a score? Um, I'm hoping that they keep it low scoring, so I'm. I don't know if this is an accurate prediction, but I'm hoping for a 70 to 62 Syracuse. Okay, I'm pretty close to you. I'm 71 64 um, Syracuse also taking this one. Um, right. And then moving on to uh, St. John's Marquette. So St. John's is going at Marquette. Um, they met earlier in the season with St. John's coming with a blowout victory that absolutely shut down Marcus Howard. Now, right. Uh, I don't really see that happening this time because it's a very different team from when that first happened. Um, unfortunately, I think the Johnnies are going to drop this one. Um, and it, it, I just don't see – the continuity has just not been there with this team as of late. I got uh, right. 84-70 Marquette over St. John's. I, I had something similar. I had an 80-68 to, to 68 win for Marquette. And I think that Marcus Howard is going to go off. I think that he's going to remember that game. And I think he's going to do everything in his power to prevent it from happening. Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to go into Marquette and come out with a victory, especially against this team. That's their offense is absolutely right. unreal this year. You know, St. John's did shut them down earlier in the year, but I just don't see it happening again. This is like I said, this is a very different St. John's team right now than than what we saw in Queens. Absolutely. And lastly, Buffalo's taking on Central Michigan, another great program going on in the MAC right now. Um, what what's your take, Alex? I think it's going to be a close game. I think that Central Michigan's a tough opponent, but I do think that Nate Oates is going to get everybody in line. I think he's going to turn this game, this this team around a little bit. Obviously, the Bowling Green loss hurt, and I think that they're going to come out a little bit more hungry than they were. So I'm going to say 85 to 68 for uh, UB over Central Michigan. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think I think Buffalo is going to take this one as well. I mean, the game's at alumni, which is you know. UB doesn't lose the alumni. That's just a known fact. Right. So uh, I don't really see UB dropping back-to-back games like that. I think Nate Oates, like you said, he's going to come out with, with a good scheme. I think some of his substitutions and leaving Harris in the game last time, he's going to be a lot more conscious um, of players if they're, if they're you know in a rut. I think he's going to be moving right. guys in and out a lot better. And um, I think he's going to be able to manage this one, the UB over, over Central Michigan, 80-70. to 70. All right, so that's that's what we got for today, Alex. Do you have any uh, any notes to add? Um, I don't think so. I think that um, with everybody coming up, I think hopefully we'll see all all of our teams in the tournament. But I do think that St. John's going to have obviously the toughest time getting in, based on number one their conference and number two the turmoil that's going on in the program right now. So 
Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the, the rest of the season turns out. We're squarely into conference play now, so it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season comes out. And I think that um, if everyone plays how their the talent on their team determines that they'll play, I think that all three of them could be successful. But it'll be interesting to see how it turns out for sure. I I agree. Um uh, like I said, I'm pretty high on, on Buffalo and Syracuse at this point. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of just like you never know what you're going to get each night with St. John. So, so I, I agree with, with, with pretty much what you said. All, All right. right. So, so just closing it out with a little uh, Bill Walton quote of the week. Um, this one goes out to a conversation Bill Walton and Roxy Bernstein had. Oh, so, boy. Uh, this is the best I've ever seen Yoli Childs play. Roxy Bernstein followed up with Bill. It's the first time you've seen him play. Walton <laughs> followed with both of those statements are correct. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So that's it. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. You know, make sure to uh, subscribe, follow us on Twitter at no vertical. Um, and we look forward to hearing back from you guys. If you want to hear about anything else, just drop a, a mention on Twitter and uh, have a great week. Enjoy college basketball. How are we going guys? <laughs>